On the morning of December 14, 2011, Jack and Jerry McGee, a well-liked and respected couple in their late 60s, were found shot to death in their Andover, Massachusetts mansion. The only item missing from their home was the couple's Lexus, which was discovered on fire 20 miles away in Boston. Despite an extensive investigation, authorities have yet to identify any motives or suspects in the double homicide. It's been just over 12 years since Jack and Jerry were killed, and investigators are still searching for the person or people responsible. Hey everyone, welcome back to Detective Perspective. My name is Derek Lavasser. I'm a former police detective and licensed private investigator, and each week I'll be covering an unsolved case in story format. I'll then give you my perspective on the investigation and provide contact information for the individuals or organizations connected to the case so that if you have any tips, you can contact them directly and maybe you can help solve a case. And if you're someone who's interested in true crime, more specifically unsolved cases, and you would like to hear my opinion on those investigations, please consider subscribing, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you use. Okay, I'll make this synopsis pretty quick here. Jack and Jerry McGee, this is a mystery through and through. And I think the main theme of why I'm covering this particular case is because I have said to you numerous times For a case to be considered a cold case, there are a few variables to consider, and they're also subjective depending on the police department or agency in charge of that particular investigation. Well, based on what we know about this case and the fact that it's been 12 years, I would say that this is a cold case and it needs to be opened up to outside individuals, not necessarily the public, but maybe private investigators, maybe someone who's worked cases like this before from other agencies throughout the country. I know that the FBI and ATF have already been involved, but again, it's time to expand the the amount of people that have eyes on this. I know that's something that most law enforcement agencies are reluctant to do initially, and I I get it. I understand it. And unless there's something that we're not aware of, if the case stands where I think it does, and that's basically nowhere, It's time to stop saying that it's active and and really make it active. Go out there, find individuals who specialize in this area and see if they can assist. So my reasoning for covering this case tonight is simply to put it out there to anyone who's not aware of it. And maybe it'll apply some pressure on the people that need to have that pressure applied. And, And maybe somebody sees this who works in this field, who can contribute to this case in some way. And maybe they'll get involved or or maybe if we're really lucky, uh, someone out there who knows something happens to be watching or listening to this episode and they decide to come forward. Although I will say, because I'm always going to be honest with you guys, based on what I think might have happened in this case, I don't think that's very likely. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive right into the case. John Everett McGee Jr., who went by Jack, was born on November 7th, 1942 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. 
After graduating from Arlington High School in 1959, he earned a business degree from Boston University and a law degree from the New England School of Law. On February 19, 1972, Jack married his high school sweetheart, Geraldine Marie Green, who was known as Jerry. She was born on February 22, 1944, also in Cambridge. Jerry graduated from Arlington High School in 1961 and later obtained a Bachelor of Arts from the former Boston State College, followed by a Master of Arts in Education from Suffolk University. She then dedicated several years to teaching elementary school. After their wedding, Jack and Jerry honeymooned in Mexico City and Acapulco. They then settled down in Andover, which was an upscale area outside of Boston. State Senator Barry Feingold, who was from Andover, described the town to the Daily Beast as very well run and safe, adding there is zero hostility there. He said it's the kind of tight-knit classic New England town that doesn't experience much crime. Now in 1974, Jack took over his father's company, McGee Construction. He shifted the company's focus toward building larger houses and wealthier neighborhoods and several large subdivisions in Andover and nearby areas. As a result, McGee Construction became one of the most lucrative development companies in Andover. Barry Feingold told the Boston Globe that Jack was well-known in town and had a great reputation in real estate circles. The Essex County District Attorney had a similar opinion. He said by all accounts, Jack was a quote, fair and honest businessman. He paid his subcontractors on time and treated his colleagues and employees extremely well. Jack and Jerry eventually welcomed two children, a son named John and a daughter named Holly. Jerry left her teaching profession and became a homemaker and a volunteer for many organizations. In 1986, Jack and Jerry built their dream home just off Route 28 in Andover. The house, located at Seven Orchard Crossing, spanned 5,500 square feet, featuring four bedrooms, four bathrooms, an indoor pool room, and a wet bar. The home sat on almost two acres, which was meticulously maintained. Additionally, the couple owned a home in Jupiter, Florida, where they often enjoyed family vacations. Jack's company went on to build many other houses on the same street. Neighbors later told the Boston Globe that Jack and Jerry were friendly and happy. One neighbor specifically described Jack as, quote, the nicest guy you've ever known. By 2011, the McGees were in their late 60s and their children had reached adulthood. Their son John had decided to take over the family business, which was a great source of pride for the couple. According to one friend interviewed by the Boston Globe, Jack and John had a very strong working relationship. The McGee's daughter, Holly, was married and had two children who were two and four years old at the time of the incident. The McGee's looked after their grandchildren every Wednesday morning. Now we're about to get into more specifics about the case, so before we do, let's hear from this week's sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals makes eating better that much easier. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your doorstep. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to Factor today and order some meals that not only taste good but are better for you. And the next time you're hungry, instead of grabbing some fast food, you'll have these delicious meals right in your fridge, ready to go. 
I love Factor. I've been eating them for years, even well before this sponsor, which is why I was so excited to do it because it's it's something I already use every day. I actually had their smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites this morning. They're relatively new, something they just came out with recently, and they're awesome. If you've ever had the competitors at some of the other fast food chains, you probably know what I'm talking about, but I will tell you, these taste even better. And as far as Factor's meals are concerned, they're ready in two minutes, so you can fuel up fast with restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Factor also offers snacks, smoothies, and much more. You can discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midnight bites, and whatever else you need. They got you covered. And by signing up, you definitely save money. They've already done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved so it's nutritious and delicious. The best part about Factor, in my opinion, is the flexibility. You can get as much or as little as you need. You can choose anywhere from 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, no matter what the reason. All you got to do is go on the app, and it takes two seconds. And if you're someone like me who's on the go and is always busy, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. There's no prepping. There's no cooking. And most importantly, in my opinion, there's no cleaning. So go check them out, guys. Head on over to factormeals.com slash detective50 and use my code detective50 to get 50% off. That's code detective50, all one word, at factormeals.com slash detective50 to get 50% off. I want to thank Factor for sponsoring this week's episode. Let's get back to the case. Okay, so we're back. Now, just after 9.15 a.m. on December 14th, 2011, Holly arrived at the McGee home with her two children for their routine Wednesday visit. The children were excited to see their grandparents, so they ran inside the unlocked home ahead of Holly. But Jack and Jerry were not waiting to greet them. Instead, they were lying in a pool of blood on the first floor of their home. After finding this grim scene, Holly immediately called 911. She told the operator that she believed her parents were beyond help. When the police arrived, they found Jerry and Jack lying head to head, both dead from gunshot wounds. Now the Andover townsman reported that the bullets had gone through the floor and into the basement. However, no bullet casings were ever found at the scene. The police looked over the McGee home and didn't find any obvious signs of forced entry either. Now it's unclear if they found any evidence of a struggle as this information has never been released publicly. The police have also declined to say whether or not the home was robbed, however, numerous sources reported that nothing was missing from the home except for the McGee's black 2008 Lexus SUV. Now I do want to stop for a second and say I'm reporting what we know based on what we can find, but that doesn't mean that's necessarily the full story. And I say that because if there were items taken, especially the way that this case has been handled so far. I don't believe that law enforcement would report that publicly. Why? Think about it from the perspective as by releasing this information, how would it help solve the case? And so, for example, let's say there was a gold statue taken from the house. They put that information out there. Is that going to jog anybody's memory? Maybe if it's something specific that there's only a, a one-off of, yeah, then someone could say, yeah, I found that statue. I seen it in someone's home or it was pawned. Sure. But if it's more ambiguous, maybe it's something like just money or gold or something of that nature that's not specific to the McGee's, 
if they put that information out there, it's not really going to help solve the case more than likely. But what it does do is eliminate another piece of guilt knowledge. And I've spoken about guilt knowledge before, but basically for anybody who doesn't know, if you're just joining the channel, it's information that only someone directly involved with the crime would be aware of. So if there was a specific type of cause of death, let's say they used orange extension cord, if law enforcement never releases that information publicly and then someone comes into the station and says, hey, I know who did this. They told me they used an orange extension cord from the shed to do it. Well, that's pretty credible and they can use that as they're building their case against this person. Once they put it out there and it's disseminated to the public, if it doesn't help solve the case, it's basically useless at that point. So just to kind of bring this back, I'm reporting what we know, but it doesn't mean that there's not more items that were taken and they're just not reporting it. All right, so now back to the vehicle. After the Andover police realized the car was missing, they issued a bolo, and they quickly learned from the Boston police that the McGee's SUV had been found approximately 20 miles away in the area of 126 Prince Street, a one-way street in the north end of Boston, and they found it around 10.20 p.m. the night before. The car's windows were smashed and it was set on fire, and it's important to note that the Boston police said it took the fire department a half hour to extinguish the fire, and the reason I bring that up is because depending on how much of a fire it was, I guess, in my experience, it usually doesn't take them that long, which may suggest that there was possibly an accelerant used, maybe something that was making it harder to extinguish the fire in the first place. Like I said, in my experience, they come up to it, they hit it with water, and within, I don't know, five, ten minutes max, that fire's out. So to, I think the fact that Boston police put it out there that it took 30 minutes, that's because they had the same reaction I'm having with you guys right now. That's a long time to put out a small car fire. So there could be more to that story. And I will say this because it is a little interesting, you know, granted I don't have all the details, but if a vehicle is found on fire, you would think that once they get the registration off the vehicle, they would contact the owners of the vehicle. So I don't know if they did that or not. Maybe they attempted to contact the McGee's and they were unable to reach them. Uh, obviously, because at this point they would have already been deceased. But I would love to know more about that. And I would love to know if the fire department attempted to make contact with the owners of the vehicle. Now, as many of you guys already know, I'm from Rhode Island. So it may be worth noting that I'm somewhat familiar with the area. And, and the north end of Boston is notoriously known for mob activity, which led some news sources to speculate that the mob might be linked to the McGee murders. However, the police have never publicly mentioned any mob involvement in this double homicide. Now, a couple things about this drive. Who knows exactly the route that the offenders took, but knowing the area like I do, more than likely the offenders left the McGee home and hopped on Highway I-93 south and continued up to the north end, but they could have taken different routes. But even if they did a direct route, and I have some pictures in here that you're going to see of Prince Street and also the map, uh, it would take approximately 30 to 35 minutes, especially at night. It would be, you know, you wouldn't have as much traffic. So either way, it's still a, a considerably long ride to be in the vehicle of your victim. It's it's a big risk. And a side note to all of this, there, were, there was a criminologist who suggested the SUV was purposely brought to the north end 
to create the appearance of mob involvement and to throw off the investigation. And I don't know how I feel about this. You could have 20 different opinions on why the vehicle was taken and, and maybe one of them is right, but who's to say which one is more accurate than the other? It's at this point, it's all speculation and conjecture. Now on the evening of December 14th, the Andover police announced that they were trying to determine the timing of the murders and it seemed like the murders happened on the evening of December 13th, but they couldn't be certain. The police stated that no suspects had been identified and a motive had not been established. However, they assured residents that there was no need to fear. The chief said, quote, This incident appears to be an isolated act. The circumstances lead us to believe that there is no further threat to the Andover community. The chief declined to provide further details on the reasoning and mentioned that authorities would likely not issue another statement until an arrest was made. The McGee family later informed Team 5 that they were unaware of how the police concluded that the murders were isolated. After news of Jack and Jerry's murders became public knowledge, Andover residents told the media they were shaken up by the tragedy. They hadn't experienced a murder since 1991. Many people who knew the couple said they couldn't figure out why anyone would want to hurt them. Paul, a longtime friend of Jack's, told the Boston Globe, quote, they are the nicest people you are ever going to see. It doesn't make sense to me. It's just insane. I have searched my soul, but I can't think of a single person who could have held a grudge against them. Paul also expressed disbelief at the idea that they could have been targeted, saying, quote, I know a lot of their friends they have and the people they do business with, and there is absolutely no reason at all why this happened. Jack is a guy that strives to make things right and does things properly. A contractor who worked with Jack for 20 years also dismissed any notion of a business-related motive for the murders. He said, quote, The guy is squeaky clean. No one in all the years we've worked together has been angry about any job. I can't figure it out. The contractor added that Jack didn't seem to have financial troubles and was often investing in new property development. On December 16th, two days after the murders, Holly's husband Ronald spoke to the Boston Herald about how the family also couldn't figure out why Jack and Jerry were murdered. He said, quote, There's nobody we can think of who would have any kind of dispute with them. Nothing makes sense. Why go in there and kill them? Ronald also talked about Holly and their two kids discovering Jack and Jerry's bodies. He described the memory as being deeply burned into Holly's mind. Ronald didn't disclose how much the children actually witnessed. He only mentioned that their older child understood that her grandparents were dead, but she didn't grasp how crazy and abnormal the situation was. That same day, Jack and Jerry's family released a statement thanking everyone who offered sympathy and prayers. They also expressed appreciation to the authorities for their diligent work in investigating the tragic and senseless murders. The family said they were cooperating with investigators and wouldn't discuss the case further. They added, quote, As you can imagine, this is a very difficult time for the families, and they asked that the public and especially the media respect their privacy and allow them to grieve and deal with this tragedy. After that, there were few updates in the case until January of 2012, when the town's clerk office accidentally released Jack and Jerry's death certificates. This was the first time the public learned specific details of the McGee's wounds. According to the Andover townsman, Jack's certificate stated that he was, quote, shot by assailants and died from gunshot wounds to the head, neck, and chest. Now, as for Jerry, her death certificate indicated that she was killed by a single shot to her head. Now, a couple things to break down here. 
first off, why would the medical examiner say assailants? Could be just an assumption on their part. Could be just speculation based on what they found. It could also be because they have more access to the police report. When medical examiners are doing their analysis, doing their examination, they will oftentimes have the police report or the initial investigation so that they have the full context of what they're dealing with, which allows them to make a more accurate assessment of what happened to the victim. So it wouldn't necessarily be out of the realm of possibility that based on what detectives had written down in their initial observations of the scene and the fact that there was a vehicle taken from the house, that it is widely believed by law enforcement officials that there was more than one party involved in these murders. So it simply could just be the medical examiner following suit with some of the initial assumptions of the investigation. Now, as far as the wounds themselves, again, this is another one of those situations where you could ask 10 different experts and they could all have a different opinion on what these injuries mean. My initial thought from hearing this is that when these individuals entered the home, more than likely they encountered Jack first right in the area where he was found. And there may have been a struggle. He may have uh, attempted to you know, rush them in that moment to protect him and his wife. And at that point, the assailant shot him multiple times in an attempt to stop him, striking him in the chest, neck, and eventually the head. He goes down, he's he's severely injured, and potentially, and I, I hate to even put this out there, but it is a possibility, Jerry hears what's happening or sees what's happening. She goes over to render aid to Jack, and as she's doing so, the suspects realize she's a witness. They can't let her go now. And she's she's executed at that point right next to Jack. It's also possible that the intention the entire time was to kill them both. And the same scenario could have played out where they they shoot Jack initially. It's a little bit more sloppy because it's it's not thoroughly planned out at that point. And then while Jerry's there as well, they they execute her. But again, I want to preface this and qualify it by saying this is purely speculation on my part. And if I had access to all the crime scene photos and everything that law enforcement has, I may change my opinion. Now, unfortunately, there were very few updates in this case after this accidental release. And some residents later told NBC10 that it seemed like the murders disappeared from the media altogether. And in December of 2012, one year had passed since Jack and Jerry were murdered. The Essex County District Attorney and the Andover Police Chief released a joint statement where they asked anyone who had information, no matter how seemingly insignificant they thought it was, to contact the police. Jack and Jerry's family also released a statement, which in part read, quote, It has been a heartbreaking year for our family since the loss of Jerry and Jack. We miss their laughter and friendship and the love and joy they gave all of us. We were robbed of this in the most unspeakable violent manner. We lost a part of our past and our future. They went on to state, quote, while we recognize the efforts of the Andover Police Department, State Police Department, and the Essex County District Attorney's Office, we struggle with the fact that the perpetrators of this horrible crime are still at large and have not been brought to justice. We hope that the appropriate measures are being taken to solve this crime so the family can finally have peace. Now, if you want to read between the lines there, it's pretty simple. 
the family's not going all the way of accusing these agencies involved of not doing enough, but they're also in a respectful way uh, voicing their concern about it and and maybe even to a certain degree uh, making it public that they, there's a level of displeasure with the performance and the results up to this point. And I think we can all agree with them on that. I think any family who would go through a similar situation like this uh, a year later when you have something that appears to be very solvable to have no answers, I think any one of us, if put in their shoes, would feel the exact same way. And I'll also say this, they're not alone. I'm sure many investigators involved with this case feel the exact same way. I know I would. Now, by December of 2013, two years had passed and the police were still no closer to solving the double homicide. The Essex County District Attorney's Office and the Andover Police Department issued another joint statement stating their investigation, quote, remained active and a high priority. They emphasized their commitment to pursuing every lead until the person or persons responsible for the murders were found and prosecuted. That same month, Jerry's nephew, Jeff, told the Andover townsman that the murders of Jerry and Jack had been, quote, very hard for the family. Jeff explained that they still had no idea what happened or what led to the murders. The family had spent a lot of time over the last two years running scenarios through their heads, trying to figure out why Jack and Jerry were killed, but none of the scenarios made any sense. Jeff also informed the townsman that McGee Construction was still operating and building houses. He mentioned that while life for the family had to go on, they remained hopeful that some resolution to the case would come to light soon. Jeff added that the family continued to support the police, receiving regular updates from them and trusting that the investigation remained their primary focus. Now, time did pass by, and in December of 2015, after four years, authorities decided to share new details at a press conference. They revealed that they had done over 50 interviews with family, friends, neighbors, employees, and business partners. They checked the couple's financial records and computers and searched their homes in Andover and Florida multiple times. They also looked through the cars of family members and people linked to McGee Construction. Additionally, investigators watched many hours of surveillance video and followed leads to four states and 20 communities in the greater Boston area. They also worked closely with the state police, FBI, ATF, and Homeland Security. Authorities said that after all their investigating, they still believed Jack and Jerry had been targeted. The chief stated, quote, understandably, the community was and continues to be concerned. At the time of the murders, the circumstances were such that we believed there was no further threat to the public safety, and we believe that this is still the case. The Boston Globe reported that authorities then released new information about Jack and Jerry's activities in the hours leading up to their murders. They said that December 13, 2011, began like any other Tuesday for the couple. Jack went to a construction site on Sailor Tom's Way in Reading, where his company was building homes. While there, Jack spoke with his son John about picking up building materials in Boston using Jack's Chevy truck and dropping them off at the Reading site the following day. A longtime employee insisted on cleaning out Jack's truck before John used it, and together they emptied it. Jack reportedly left the site around 3 p.m. and returned home. Meanwhile, John visited his parents' house, where the business office was located, to gather information about the supplies he needed. He left around 4.30 p.m. Now, at that same time, Jerry talked to her daughter Holly on the phone and made plans to watch their grandchildren the next day while Holly did some Christmas shopping. 
and it's important to note that Holly could hear her dad on the phone in the background. Unfortunately, this phone conversation marked the end of the new information authorities released. The DA declined to disclose why certain details were not being shared, but mentioned that investigators hoped the release of this new information in the case would jog someone's memory and generate more tips. The DA said, quote, Someone out there knows something. We are asking you to search your memory and your conscience. Pick up the phone and call us. Jack and Jerry's family also released a statement which said that the couple was deeply missed and they hoped the new information being released would help solve the case. They said, quote, We miss Jerry and Jack very much and not a day goes by without us thinking how blessed we were to have them in our lives. But the perpetrators of this crime are still out there and they need to be brought to justice. Please help us solve this crime. Now, unfortunately, the new information did not bring in the tips needed to solve the case. And by December of 2021, a full decade had passed since Jack and Jerry were murdered and the police still didn't have any new information to share. The couple's family released a statement where they begged for people to come forward with the information needed to solve this case. Their statement read in part, quote, Our family has lost 10 years of love, smiles, wisdom, support, and happiness with them. For the past decade, we have hoped and prayed for answers and closure to this horrible crime. Jack and Jerry will forever live in our hearts and memories, but the people who committed this act are still at large, and they need to be brought to justice. Now, around that same time, Senator Barry Feingold spoke to the Daily Beast. He mentioned that the authorities' inability to solve the McGee's murder indicates that professionals might have been involved. He noted that the killer or killers were able to get in and out of the house without anybody seeing anything. Senator Feingold said, quote, It's surprising that we are still trying to figure out what happened 10 years later. Nobody really knows what happened, and nobody has really talked. It's definitely one of the biggest mysteries to come out of Andover. Now again, just reading between the line here, you're seeing a form of obviously family pressure and also political pressure where they're indirectly not calling them out, but just expressing their displeasure with the fact that here we are sitting here in 2021 at this point and we still don't have any answers. And again, they're being respectful, but you can also tell at this point, understandably, that we're also getting impatient. Now, in February of 2022, the Massachusetts State Police Unresolved Case Unit collaborated with the State Department of Corrections and the District Attorney's Office to produce a deck of playing cards showcasing images of victims of unsolved homicides or missing persons. The Ten of Clubs card highlighted Jack and Jerry. The State Police also released a video introducing the card, stating, quote, You may remember hearing of some of these cases. Others will be new to you. But know this. For each and every one, there's someone who lives with a hole in their heart or in their home, which was once filled by one of these victims. Unfortunately, this is the latest update we have in this case. Authorities are still searching for the person or people responsible for the deaths of Jack and Jerry McGee, and their families are anxiously awaiting answers. All right, let's get into this perspective, and it's going to be in more bullet point format because we don't know a ton about this case, but I want to go over some of the facts before I get into what I think could have potentially happened here. First off, I think it's pretty fair to say that this crime occurred on December 13th between 4.30 p.m. and 10 p.m., obviously because that was the last time the McGees were heard from, 
and the vehicle was found at approximately 10.30 p.m. on 12.13. But as I mentioned earlier, it would take approximately 30 to 35 minutes to drive from the McGee's to the Boston area where the vehicle was discovered. So you got to take about a half hour off there. That's what gives us our six-hour window, a little bit less than that, five-and-a-half-hour window. So not a big window there. Let's talk about the McGee's real quick as far as a profile. Jack was a very prominent figure in the community. They lived in a huge house. You've seen that mansion here in this episode. It would have been known to a lot of people that they were well-off, that they had a lot of money. So I know that law enforcement has spent an extensive amount of time vetting their family members, their friends, their employees, their colleagues. And yeah, maybe it's no one directly connected to them. But as you start to expand that scope to people that lived in the community or people who maybe lived in the areas where Jack or and Jeff were working, it would be very clear to them, to the people in that community, that maybe Jack has a lot of money. And if there was any type of counterintelligence done, they could have followed him home one night and saw where he lived and and maybe saw an opportunity. So I mentioned this for for, for a specific reason. But before I go there, let's talk about the obvious. Could this have been a hit? Yes, I guess it could have been a hit. It could have been a pro- professional job. Maybe Jack or Jeff was involved in something that law enforcement wasn't able to find. And this was a retaliatory thing because of something that went down. Who knows what that is? I don't believe that's the case. I think this was kind of sloppy in a lot of ways. And I don't think it was a professional hit which brings me back to what I was just alluding to. If it's someone who lived in the Boston area or worked or was friends of a, of an employee lower on the totem pole that worked for the McGee's, they may have been very aware that they had money. And it's not far out of the realm of possibility that a plan was hatched to, to rob the McGee's, knowing that they were an older couple essentially living alone. So under the cover of darkness, you have a couple assailants, because I do believe it was probably more than one person, uh, drive up to that home in a vehicle, and they get out, and maybe the intent is to just rob them, but something goes wrong. Jack is uncooperative. Um, They shoot him in the process of maybe uh, an altercation. That's when they realize that now Jerry, who's rendering assistance to her husband, uh, has to be killed as well, so they execute her. And do we know if anything else was taken? We don't. Maybe something was. Maybe it wasn't. But we wouldn't really know for certain unless Jeff or Holly were aware of it. And maybe the intent was to rob them. But once this thing went sideways and they killed Jack and Jerry, they aborted the plan and decided to just get out of there as fast as possible. And that's what brings me to the vehicle. Again, if this was a professional hit, yeah, you could make the argument They took the car to kind of throw police off. I don't think so. You don't need to go that far. Why run the risk of being seen by a witness as you're driving that vehicle to this location? You have seen Prince Street in this this video, and it's a populated area. Could someone have seen them? Could a camera have picked them up? Absolutely. Something, I mean, again, the technology wasn't as prevalent back then, but there's just a lot of unnecessary risk in taking the vehicle intentionally. I think it was more out of necessity. For some reason, I don't know what happened, but things went wrong and the offenders needed a getaway vehicle and what better than the vehicle that was in the garage or in the driveway. So they took it, they drove it to an area where they felt like they could be picked up by their 
co-conspirators or family members or friends. They, they burn the car maybe with gasoline or some type of accelerant to hopefully get rid of any potential trace evidence, any DNA that could be left behind. And they've never been seen since, which by the way, is another reason why this would be carried out at night. If they go there and they drive up in a certain vehicle, the vehicle's less likely to be identified. And if by chance the intent was to take their vehicle to throw people off, whether it was a professional hit or not, if you're trying to avoid being seen by uh, another an oncoming vehicle or a witness in the area, you're better to do it under the cover of darkness. So multiple reasons to confirm why this happened that evening and not the next day when Jack and Jerry were actually found. But to bring this full circle, talking about what we've talked about and talking about what has been released, I'm not trying to dim diminish what has been released so far, but to be honest with you, the information that was released at this press conference regarding uh, Jeff going to the home and leaving around 4.30 and then Holly being on the phone with Jerry and hearing Jack in the background, it really doesn't tell us much. I don't think that was going to elicit any type of response from the community where they were going to go, oh, that makes total sense. Now I, I might have a potential person that could be involved with it. It wouldn't really link to it. I almost feel, and I could be wrong, like this was done to appease the community and maybe the McGee family to just give something to show that, hey, maybe we're willing to let other people in. But this is going to bring it back to where I started this episode. Every case is different. Every case has its own set of variables, its own set of circumstances. And you have to look at the case on a case-by-case -case basis when deciding how cold is the investigation and should we open it up? There are some cases that are 20 years old that based on the circumstances involved with the case and what evidence can still be processed or whatever the case may be, where I wouldn't recommend expanding it to uh, other officials because there's still stuff to be done. Or maybe they already have a, a, the suspect, they just don't have enough to, to get them yet. This case on the surface, it really sounds like they don't have much. And I hate to be that Debbie Downer, but it really sounds like there's not a lot to go off of here. So my question is, what do you have to lose? If there's a small piece of guilt knowledge in there, keep that to yourself. There's no need to release that. But any information, even if it's a possible vehicle that was seen in the area, I know you don't want to throw out false information or information that may not be connected and have people going down that path. But I bring it back to the question, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose by doing this? I would consider bringing in private investigators, former police detectives from other agencies who have maybe worked similar cases in the past and had success to see what they did to drum up new leads to help solve their investigation. I think it's time to do that. I think we're at a point here where if there's no DNA evidence that can be processed or anything like that, we want to get justice for the family and we want to get it as soon as possible. I'm of the firm belief that finding out who committed a crime 40 or 50 years later, to me, that's not justice. They had the, the suspects had their full life. They got to live as free people. So yeah, if they spend the last five or 10 years behind bars, does it really matter? I, I don't think so. I don't think that's an, I don't think that's justice for the victims or their families. So we have to act now, and I'm hoping that I am a small part of that detective perspective and you guys 
were contributing that into a way by bringing this case back up to the forefront, talking about it, maybe being a little frustrated about it. And maybe someone in the McGee family or one of their friends sees this and they share it as well. And who knows? Who knows where this leads? All I know is we've got to do something and we're not going to solve this case by just keeping it under lock and key and not any letting anybody take a fresh look at it. With that all being said, maybe someone out there who's watching right now has something that can help solve this case. So anyone with information should call the Massachusetts State Police Detectives assigned to the Essex County District Attorney's Office at 978-745-8908 or the Andover Police Anonymous tip line at 978-623-3560. And finally, I want to send my thoughts out to Jeff and Holly and obviously Holly's children and and Ronald and the rest of the family and the friends to think that this happened right around Christmas time. So for what is most of us probably our favorite time of year, um, it's become your nightmare and you have to relive this every year around the holidays. And I can tell by your statements how much it has affected you over the years, understandably so. So I hope in some small way, knowing that we're covering it here and we're thinking about you and your family, that it gives you some hope and, and maybe some motivation to keep pushing forward because myself and everyone who's watching and listening right now, as long as it takes to solve this case, we will be right here with you. Everyone stay safe out there and I'll see you next week.